Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to fill us with your word. Lord, that we would get ourselves and our ideas and our thoughts out of the way. That we would let the Holy Spirit of God work in our hearts and lives during this time together as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You mean that song would solve an awful lot of problems, would they not? When we get into all the struggle and strife of this world, just love the Lord a little more. Of course, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. And if we'll just love the Lord, we'll solve so many of life's problems. Let's look again at the book of Jude. The book of Jude, and we'll start reading in verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as, Bruce, as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, Carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against thee, against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because... Of advantage. Are you encouraged? Uh, those are some pretty harsh words. Yet this is the message that Jude is, is giving us. And if you'll remember back, he says, I w I'm writing to you of the common salvation. But as I write to you of that salvation that we hold in unity together, of that faith that we share in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to admonish you, I have to exhort you that you will earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. We only have one faith, but everybody's trying to change it. In fact, one of the great lies that we have today, and you, you'll hear it often, well, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. We do not all serve the same God. The, the gods of the Hindu religion are not the gods of the Bible. I remember running into a guy, well, the great spirit that the Indians worshipped, uh, that's, that's really just another name for God. No, it's not. The great spirit did not have a son that died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The great spirit was a God of fear who exacted and uh, great tribute and slavery from his people. Listen, Allah is not 
another name for the God of the Bible. The God of Islam is a completely different God. Look at his characteristics. Listen, as we look here, we have to understand something. These people are going to show up at church. And the, the most weak, the, the most uh, effective thing that we can do to move these people on is to be faithful to what is written down. Uh, some of you may remember a little while ago, and, and if you don't, that's a good thing. Uh, we had an individual attending our services, and what he would do is he would show up on Sunday mornings, and he'd say, listen, why don't you come with me to my church on Wednesday night or on Sunday night or at, at different times? I'll come here this week, but you come with me next week. And he was going to some Protestant Calvinistic thing. And uh, I, got, I started getting reports. Different people come up and say, Pastor, do you, do you know so-and-so's doing this? I said, no, there's no way I can keep track of everything in the church. You tell me, hey, guess what? I had a conversation. And so-and-so decided it just wasn't worth the effort to show up anymore. And that's a good thing. He said, if you want to believe what you want to believe, I said, that's your business. But you're not coming here and using our church as a platform to lead people astray. And this is what is going on. They speak evil of those things which they know not. They... Uh, you know, there's many times we've, uh, I've been accused of being over dogmatic and believing I'm the only one that's right. And, and uh, that's not true. I don't believe I'm right. I believe the Bible's right. And when I'm in agreement with the Bible, well, then guess what? I happen to be right. Amen. Uh, but as a human being, not always. No one is in perfect agreement with the scripture. The scripture is the standard. See, when we get down to verse 16 and we end this passage as he's describing these certain men who crept in unaware, this is one of their greatest tools that they use, having men's person and admiration because of advantage. Why do people look up to Michael Jordan other than the fact that he's almost seven foot tall? Uh, why do people look up to him? Because he's a genetic freak. That's why. You have to be born weird to be able to play basketball like that. Normal people cannot do those things. If they could, then the NBA would not be paying $36 million a year to some thug uh, to move back to New York City. Isn't that, isn't that what they paid Carmelo Anthony to move back to the Nets are, I don't even know what team it is. It's ridiculous. If you were not a genetic misfit, you could not, you cannot be a sports fan. I mean, a sports star. You can be a sports fan and be whatever you want. Why do we look at these people? Because 
they have an advantage. Why do certain people make it on TBN and others don't? Well, they have advantage. They have a voice that people can listen to. Uh, when Ernest Ainsley puts on a white taffeta suit, he just looks like a big marshmallow. But you can stare at him. He's got one of those faces that you can stare at. You know, all you have to do today to be a movie star, you have to have a face that people can stare at. That's why I'll never be a movie star. It's just not going to happen. If you didn't, I mean, it would be rough on Sunday morning if all you had to do was stare at me. But you can look at your Bible and, and, uh, and those kinds of things and we can get something accomplished that's going to be positive. But here's what people do is they're all the time bringing people in who have special, unique attributes. We... As a nation just celebrated the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. At best, I don't believe Mr. King, and I will not honor him by calling him a reverend, because he's not. He was not a preacher of the Bible. He had nothing to do with the Word of God, though he used Jesus' name and held the Bible. He was, at best, a tool in the hands of the Communist Party. Sowing unrest and causing problems. Was he a great man? Yes, he was a great man as far as the world is concerned. But there were people behind the scenes doing things with Mr. King that Mr. King was not aware of. By the way, does that describe... Um, uh, you know what it describes. I'm not going to... We got somebody that's above his pay grade. What a mess. Uh, by the way, who do you think is manipulating all these mobs in Libya and Egypt? There are people behind the scenes doing things. Now, I am not a conspiratorialist by nature. But there are people who are using these great people to their ends. And one of the days... One of these days, the devil is finally going to be allowed by God to do what he's wanted to do all along. And that's going to be introduce Antichrist. And all the world is going to fall down at his feet and worship him. But I want to tell you something. I believe that Antichrist is going to be politically and morally conservative. Because the Jewish people are going to accept him as their Messiah. They're going to believe that he is the answer to their prayers. So don't worry about Obama being the Messiah. Nobody's going to believe that. But the simple truth is, these people, now, now they're described in verse 4 as certain men which crept in unawares, that they were ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We get down to verse 8. They're called filthy dreamers. 
defilers of the flesh. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Now we start in verse 10 and it says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beast in those things, they corrupt themselves. Now, in verses 11 through 16, we have the woe, a woe pronounced against these certain men that are crept in. And you'd better be careful when God says woe. He's not trying to slow things down. That's spelled differently. W-O-A-H. This is sorrow. This is God's judgment is coming. This is pain and suffering and destruction is headed your way. And he gives them three examples here or three illustrations uh, of the reprobates of those in the Bible famous for their great sin. Excuse me. It says, woe unto them for they have gone the way of Cain. Now, how many of you here are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel? Okay, almost everybody here. I mean, we know the story. Well, what was the way of Cain? They came to worship God, did they not? And what did Cain do? He brought the works of his hands. This is the seat of all False religion right here is when we offer to God the works of our own hands. What did Abel offer? Abel offered the blood of the innocent lamb. God had respect to Abel's offering. He had no respect to Cain's offering. Now, God went and talked to Cain. He said, you are the elder. You are the one to whom will the leadership falls. If you will do right, you're going to be accepted. And you're going to have a position of honor in this world. And if you don't do right, sin lieth at the door. There's one of Abel's sheep out there. Offer the sacrifice and move forward. But what did Cain do? He rejected God's method of worship. And when he decided, and when God rejected Cain's offering, Cain said, I'll just remove God's standard of holiness. I'll kill Abel. Did that help Cain at all? But isn't that exactly what Islam is trying to do today? When someone stands up and convicts them that their method of worship and approach to God is not God's, it is something they feigned out of their own mind and their own tradition, what do they do? They try to eradicate those. They pass laws in their country that no one can open their mouth and tell the message of Christ or evangelize anyone. It's exactly what Cain did. What did the Roman Catholic Church do when they, and still do today, 
when they have opportunity. What does the Orthodox Church do in the land of Greece and anywhere where it has authority and sway? Uh, Brother Lucas in Novosibirsk has had more problems from the Russian Orthodox priest than he ever has from the communist. Why? Because false religion, when it is shown up for what it is, tries to eradicate or change the standard. That's what Cain did. It's exactly what he did. And God judged Cain. God judged Cain by telling him, listen, you're going to wander. You're not going to be able to stay in one place. And when you plant your crops, they're not going to grow like they used to. I'm going to curse the work of your hands. And what was Cain's response? My punishment is greater than I can bear. God, you're not fair. How many times do we hear that today? This is the way of Cain. It is a God that agrees with me. Have your best life now. Or realize your greatest life now. I don't know what Joel Steen says. I don't care. But... The simple truth of the matter is, this is exactly what they're telling you. Is you can have everything you want and God too. This is the way of Cain. It hasn't changed. It might have a few more bells and whistles today. I mean, it might have uh, a few more trinkets attached to it. But here is the first example and, and let's read 1 John chapter 3. I think it would be behoove uh, us to just read these verses. And again, this is an illustration of the Bible helping us to understand the Bible. And we start in verse 11. So we set the context here. It says, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that, ye, that we should love one another. This is 1 John chapter 3. Verse 11, for this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, verse 12, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works are evil and his brother's righteous. You see, the Bible explains the Bible. We have Cain as an illustration of hatred. What does God's true religion bring in your heart? Love for all mankind, does it not? Where is the only place that Jews and Gentiles, Arabs and former people of every religion under the face of the earth can sit down in peace? It is in the church of Jesus Christ. As we surrender ourselves to him, we can love one another. And by the way, our love for one another is true. It is honest. It is pure. It is helpful. And it brings us all closer to God. When the world claims that they have love, unity, and peace, you get the United Nations responsible for more bloodshed than any other organization in the history of mankind is, well, pretty close. 
So as we look at this, is there any, re, is there any misunderstanding as why Jude would use Cain as our first example? As a picture, as an illustration to what we are fighting against. There are men that will come in and they will rewrite what worship is. You can go into churches today that once preached the gospel. And these men have crept in and now Jesus is an historical figure. Not necessarily a real person. He is more of a composite uh, of the things that are there. And Adam and Eve were not real people. They're, they're just a parable of God's beginning of mankind. These are things that are taught in churches and in Bible colleges today. God's word is not authoritative. In fact, it is absolutely interesting. The new cry of our day is we believe in the authority and inerrancy of Scripture. But we use all the versions. Now that is nonsense. Because you cannot believe in the authority of Scripture and use all the modern versions. That it is, a un, it is an impossible stand to take. And yet people do all these things. They take mutually opposing truths. And I even remember one of my professors trying to teach this. It says you have thesis. This is the point of truth. Then you have antithesis or antithesis, the opposite of truth. But real truth is found in synthesis. Uh-uh. You cannot take what is true and the opposite of truth and mix them together and have anything but slop. And yet this is the reasoning that people are taught in school. It is the only way that you can believe in evolution. Because logic demands a creator. But if we want to get rid of the creator... Well, all we have to do is truth. There was a creator. Anti-truth, no creator. Synthesis, God used evolution to make the world as it is today. Puke. Because it's not true. It is the worst of all worlds when you think that way. So we have our first example is Cain. By the way, Cain is alive and well. The next one, let's go back, is in Jude gives us, he said, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now look what it says. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. How many of you are familiar with the story of Balaam? See, this is why you need to be here on Sunday school. Because those stories are used to help us understand. Balaam was the prophet that was so smart, 
He talked to his donkey. Now, if your donkey started talking to you, would you talk back? Well, that depends on what he says, preacher. I hope not. But see, what did God tell Balaam? The men came from Balak and he said, God, do you want me to go with these men? God said, no. He gets up in the morning. He says, I can't go with you. Balak is insulted. He sends more people, more money, more prestige. And Balaam, this is where Balaam makes his mistake. He says, well, they've come again, Lord. Uh, Have you changed your mind? You see, God doesn't change his mind, my friend. Balaam was trying to figure out some way to be obedient to God and get his hand on Balak's money at the same time. Couldn't do it. But how many of you know what Balaam's greatest sin was? In Numbers chapter 31, let's just take a minute and go there. This is not a well-known story because uh, for obvious reasons, we do not give all these details in Sunday school uh, with the little children there. It's a pretty horrid story, but Balaam was behind it. Verse 2 Verse 1 of chapter 31 of the book of Numbers. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Avenge the children of Israel of the Midianites. Afterward, thou shalt be gathered unto thy people. And Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites, and avenge the Lord of Midian, of every tribe a thousand throughout Israel. And so they went, and they warred against the Midianites, and we come down here to verse uh, 16. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, what Balaam did was he developed an Operation Perfume, we might call it. He got the most beautiful women of Midian to go out and seduce the men of Israel and to invite them to worship Peor. Now, when you hear that, you, you say, well, what is that? That is one of the gods of the Midianites, Baal, un, uh, unlike Uh, The Lord God of the Bible, there's only one God. There are many gods in the false religion world, and they all do the same thing, evil. And one of the chief ways that you worship Peor uh, very mildly was to commit acts of immorality. And uh, very, very similar to uh, what we call Friday night in New York City. 
they, in essence, are worshiping their God. It is the God of their own personal pleasure, and they're doing the same things that they did in the temples in, in this day. But it was Balaam who knew that he could not curse Israel because God would not honor his words. But he knew God was holy and would judge his own people if he could just get them to sin. This is Balaam. By the way, how many of you knew that the Wiccans send missionaries to teach Sunday school in Christian churches? What they do is they pose as Christians. They come in, they say all the right things, and then when they're given a class, they begin to introduce Wiccan or demonic philosophy in Sunday school classes in churches. This has been going on uh, when I was a, a child, a young child. There was uh, the church my parents attended somewhat regular, uh, irregularly when I was a very young child. It was a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. And later on, we got reports from our cousins that they were bringing in and teaching about candle work and different things like this, which is what the witches do in Sunday school in a Christian church. Balaam is alive and well. By the way, how many of you know, and I've forgotten, Chuck Colson. He's the one that um, uh, made the term born again very popular, wrote a book. He was a Watergate thug under Richard Nixon, got saved in prison, and, uh, but he was vehemently ecumenical in his scope. And uh, one of the last things he did before he died and went on to uh, uh, eternity was preached at the World Congregation of Religion, the World Con Congress of Religion. And they had just, at the, one, the last one he spoke at, they had just allowed the Buddhist and the Wiccans into the World Congress of Religion because they could agree that there is one God. Maybe. Let me, let me tell you something. This is one of the reasons why I tell you not to spend a lot of time listening to Christian radio. Because these are the people who own Christian radio. And the idea of Balaam here is to entice people to participate in false worship. Probably one of the greatest and most influential religious leaders of our day is a man named James Dobson. Almost everybody has heard of him. Uh, if you listen to Christian radio, he is there. Dr. Dobson is a psychologist. And if he had not said this with his own mouth and I heard it, I would not believe that he was honest enough to say this. But he was, he, somebody had written him and asked him a question about baptism. And he said, 
Baptism is a theological issue. I'm not trained in theology. I am trained in psychology. And so if I have a theological issue, I talk to my friend Chuck Swindoll, who doesn't know enough about baptism to give you a paragraph on it, by the way. He's... uh, Uh, He comes from an evangelical free church, which means if you're baptized as a baby, that's okay. If you want to be baptized as an adult, that's okay. If you want to be sprinkled, wrinkled, or anything in between, it's, it's just okay. No, it's not. You see, these are the people. By the way, does anybody have any clue how much money it takes to run the James Dobson Empire? To get... An hour program on the local Christian radio station, 570 uh, MCA. This is not prime time. This is not the times that all of the big guys get. There was a group of independent Baptists that tried to get a radio show. It was like 11 o'clock Friday night. Who listens to the radio 11 o'clock at Friday night? Christian radio, that is. And, And this was... 18 years ago, 17 years ago, and it was still almost $700 an hour. Now, that's just one radio station. Does that sound like the reward of Balaam to you? How many books get sold and published? How many people buy? And I'm not saying everything in Mr. Dobson's book's bad. Nobody's wrong about everything except Harold Camping. Um, but the simple truth of the matter is you are reading the words of a man who is trained in secular psychology that says he doesn't know enough about his Bible to explain what baptism is, and yet he's going to answer you and explain to you how you're to raise your children. I I don't know, but I, I think raising your children is just as important or even uh, a much more complicated issue than baptism scripturally. I mean, you've got to spend a little more time with your Bible going through passages and assimilating scripture to raise a child than you do to go through the very simple passages on baptism. If you can't figure that out, maybe he doesn't have the other figured out either. You see, because his main point is to bring about unity in this body of Christ that doesn't exist. That's Balaam. It is the joining of false religion with true. Now this is one of the reasons why I don't like Christian radio. Because it's going to move you in a direction that you don't need to go. Charles Stanley is a nice guy. Does he preach out of the right Bible? Well, maybe once in a while. Not very often. He's a member of the Southern Baptist Convention and served as its president. Do you know that there are churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that do not believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Baylor University, the theological university of the Southern Baptist Convention, well, I guess Duke would be, has moved into that place, Uh, but Baylor does not teach biblical creation in their theology department. 
because they don't teach a literal comprehension of the scriptures. You can hear about creation in the science department, but you can't find it in the Bible department. Does that make sense to anybody? Let me tell you something. We have to understand that there's a lot of money lovers and schemers. I heard some most distressing news. One of the pastors at the meeting is pastors in the same town my Bible college was in. And the Bible college that I went to, is, according to him, is about to close its doors. Because one of the men that had been putting big dollars into keeping that school open and move it in a liberal ecumenical direction has decided things weren't moving fast enough and he's not giving any more money to the school and it's going to die. And I kind of hope it does. The thing just needs to be buried because it had a great heritage of providing great preachers, men like Brother Marshall and Larry Clayton and Roy Thompson, Kevin Folger, all graduated that school. Now it's rock and roll for Jesus, any version of the Bible but the King James. Well, you can use it if you really want to. Let me, let me tell you something. Balaam is alive and well today. And when you follow the dollar sign, boy, it just really gets sad. And then we have Korah. Korah was the man that said, you know what? God didn't only speak by Moses. I'm just as good as Moses is. How many remember what happened to Korah? The ground opened up. And the men that followed Korah, the Levites that followed him, were holding brazen censers, saying, we're just as good as the priest. And fire went out from the, before the Lord and killed 250 men. And Dathan and Abiram, the, the, uh, who were Korah's cohorts in crime, all went alive. The earth just opened up. And in a moment, they were in hell. Terrifying thought. But Korah rebelled against God's authority. He was, I'm going to have my religion, my way, and God will be pleased with it. Now, right here, we have the three basic examples or types of false religion, do we not? We have those that would go about as Cain did through hatred and rebellion, would remove God's standard of holiness and establish themselves as the standard because they're the only ones still alive to do so. You have Balaam who was the schemer, always pulling things behind the scenes, always looking for the dollar sign. I think it was... Um, oh, man. Uh, Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. His philosophy was, you want to be a millionaire? Start a new religion. And he did. And he attracted some of the richest and most powerful people of Hollywood into his religious circles. And of course, 
Let me just ask you a, a simple question. When did any of those reprobates know anything about anything? I mean, except doing drugs and swapping spouses and living the life of a total reprobate. I mean, that they do know about. I mean, if that's what Scientology produces, I don't want any of it. Amen? Listen, in Korah, how many times do you hear, I just don't believe in any organized religion. I'll do it myself. Uh, that's Korah. He's still around. And you look at these people, and they have and are still infiltrating into real churches and trying to destroy them. And this is why we must contend earnestly for the faith. It, it, I'm not trying to just be rough here or, or mean-spirited or just use this as a platform to bash everybody. No, that's not what we're trying to do. But let me tell you something. When they're teaching error, you got to go a different direction. If you're going to serve Christ, you cannot walk in the direction of error. And that is what... Jude is striving because many of these early churches that were started by the apostles themselves, just a short time later, corruption was moving in, was going to change those churches from a church that taught the truth to a church that teaches the doctrine of Cain. Or maybe the doctrine of Balaam or Korah. Now, I want you to understand one thing and we'll be done. All three of these men had contact with God. When Balaam prayed and asked God for direction, who came and talked to Balaam? God did. I mean, that's what my Bible says. Did God talk to Cain? Yes, he pleaded with Cain to do right and Cain refused. Korah was the worst one of all. He had seen the miracles that God had done in the land of Egypt. He had heard the voice of God speak from Mount Sinai with his own physical ears. He had seen the miracles that God had done and had read in his own, with his own eyes, he had read the tablets written with the finger of God, the Ten Commandments. And he, each one of them used their relationship with God as a platform to build their sin and deception and evil. That's why Jude is really going to get positive here and call them spots in their feast of charity and twice dead plucked up by the roots and wandering stars and all of these things because you have to understand something. It doesn't take a great amount of error to miss heaven. It does not take a great amount of poison to kill you. The old decon was 3% arsenic. 
If you ever look at these new rat poisons they have out there, it's like active ingredient 0.001%. The exterminator we have now, he says, all the mouse has to do is walk over the bait bag. It doesn't even have to open it. And it will sterilize the mouse permanently. One bite, and that mouse is dead. I said, what will it do if a kid gets... Oh, he said, it's not... He says, keep it away from your kids, but he says, it won't do to children what it does to mice, but I mean, you're talking infinitesimal amounts of poison. And I'll tell you what, our building's been mouse-free for a long time. Amen. Can we keep our church and our doctrine... Free from error. Yes, we can. All we got to do is stay in the word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we go through the book of Jude. That, Lord, I pray that we would not get too depressed with all of these things. But, Lord, you would use this to burn into our minds and our souls. The simple fact that doctrinal purity is serious business. And Lord, that we would not get comfortable in allowing the doctrines of this world, the doctrines of man's mind and heart, to coexist with the doctrines of God's Word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to love you and your Word and be obedient. Lord, we pray that we would never get arrogant or set ourselves up as a standard, but Lord, we would stand in awe before thy word and use it as a measuring stick to compare and to make sure and to test and to prove everything that comes down the pike. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll give just a moment. If you'd like to come and pray.